Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Episode 75. Well, it starts with relationships. Hey, we can sit here and talk about our programs all day, you know, whether it's 82 or 83% on a front squat or it's dynamic effort or max effort. None of that really matters unless you have these relationships. What makes a good strength coach, and people touch on it a lot, is being able to, you know, have conversations with these guys. Do they care that you care? Um, Are you a good person, and why should they listen to you? This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, taking over for Scott Caulfield, my first event as the coaching program manager for the NSCA. With me today is special guest, good friend of mine, Brian Buck from Sparta Science. Brian, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. This is a legit setup here. Um, Obviously, good to see you. It's been a little bit, and I'm happy for you and the new position, and I'm excited for you. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Recently married. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I uh, I found the love of my life uh, and quickly met her a year ago, got married and did the whole thing. Uh, so I'm excited living that life now. So thank you. I appreciate That's it. That's awesome. Um, so I know your story pretty well, but if you would just tell our listeners about your background in SNC and kind of how that led you into to Sparta Science, what you're doing now. Yeah. So, you know, I've always been um, a guy that was, you know, into training and working out really with no clue at, at for most of my life at a young age, um, but doing it because I enjoyed it um, and, and played sports all throughout, you know, growing up high school and played college baseball. Um, you know, got lucky, had an opportunity to go play professional um, in the St. Louis Cardinals organization for a few years. And, and of those few years, you know, was frequently injured, which is a frustrating thing for anyone to go to, to go into and, and experiences, you know, when you feel like you can perform, but you but you're hurt and you can't do so. So when I got done playing um, baseball in the minor leagues, um, went back to Arizona State and got my kinesiology degree there. And that's really during that time was when I had an internship there on campus in Tempe um, where I really kind of learned what training is all about and how to do it correctly and really blew my mind of where I was doing things so incredibly wrong my entire career. So I really fell in love with the training process and eventually, you know, graduated from Arizona State. And unfortunately, like most people today, didn't really have anything set up for me. There was no people calling me, hey, do you want this? Do you want that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, after I got out of baseball, I really didn't want to be a part of it for a while. And I had an opportunity from my mentor to interview in Major League Baseball for a position. I interviewed and I got it. So I actually ended up falling into strength and conditioning and I've been in it since. Um, but kind of to answer your question of how I got to Sparta Science is eventually I was working with Colorado Rockies um, and we consulted with a, a new company at that time um, called Sparta Science and I saw a lot of success and really um, became interested in the why behind everything and the data that we were seeing and the health that we were seeing improved and uh, eventually left baseball and now I'm uh, the d- director of sports at Sparta Science. That's awesome. Yeah, so Sparta Science, and I remember when Sparta came on with the Rockies and um, what that was like in the field, um, hearing that from a different team perspective. And, you know, what was that transition going more the tech and sports science route? Um, what was that like on the coaching side? Um, did you take to it right away? Did, did the people you were working with take to it right away? Was there any pushback? That's a good question. You know, early on, 
I think when I first when I first got with the Rockies and I heard that we were going to consult with Sparta Science, I was extremely excited. I didn't really know much about the process and what it was going to entail, but I knew that we were going to be working with technology and making better decisions. I, having said that, I think first, you know, not everyone adopted it, you know, and I'm not just talking um, internally, strength and conditioning staff. We all had to learn it and ask questions and and really see it to play it out and believe in it, but, you know, we're talking about athletes that we're working with. We're talking about coaching staff. It didn't just, we didn't just win people over overnight. So it was definitely a growing process of learning what it was that we wanted to collect, seeing that play out over time and seeing things improve. And then with that came buy-in, not only internally as a training and conditioning staff, but athletic training staff, sports med, athletes and coaches along. So it was definitely something at first that people looked at us a little bit crazy about um, with the Rockies and how we were changing so much. But over time, I think as people saw too from the outside is we started to see some really cool things. Um, and now obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of using data, um, but I think others are as well. That's cool. Um, so on the Sparta topic, you know, it's a lot of people hear Sparta and they think force plates. I think that's how it got introduced to the world. Is that what Sparta Science is, a uh, force plate company, or is it more than that? Yeah, that's a, that's a big misconception. Um, you know, we use a force plate as the needle to draw the blood, so to speak. It's what we use to collect the data points. Um, you know, kind of a gold standard of assessing the vertical jump and ground reaction force is a force plate. So we do use them. We are not a force plate company. We are not a hardware company. Uh, we are truly a software company. What we have and have established over the last decade is, a, you know, a deep aggregate database that we can actually um, provide some context to the information we're seeing so that we can relay this to the practitioner, the everyday practitioner, you know, what this actually means and what we can do to improve what we're seeing. So it's, we're really a data company and we're providing information to the everyday practitioner. So, so that goes hand in hand with, you know, there's this huge sports science technology and data push in strength and conditioning right now. And you're speaking today at the 2020 Coaches Conference. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're going to talk about. Yeah, so um, Bryce Patterson, the director of education, and myself are going to we're going to touch on, you know, creating a system of intent. And really that's, you know, we kind of, it's kind of a gift and a curse of today, as you mentioned, with so much technology. We really can collect everything, and that doesn't really necessarily mean we should. So a lot of what we're going to talk on is, you know, what's important to measure, um, and how can we create a framework as coaches to develop a program? And then really at the end of the day, how can we go back and look at it if, if it worked or not, or if it was actually important, right? Because we have to evaluate our program at the end of the day and make tweaks and changes based on what works and what didn't work. Yeah. Nice. So one thing I've always really liked about talking to you is, you know, you will connect on the phone and catch up and it's like, hey, how's it going? And, you know, what are you up to? And it's not like, hey, what are you up to day to day? I'm going to work today. I'm going to the going to the field, going to the job. It's like, no, what are you doing to get better? What are you what are you working on personally in your life? Um, putting yourself out there, communicating, uh, going to conferences. What are you learning right now? And that's something I've always valued talking to you. Um, what does that mean to you? No, likewise. And and that's something that you, you you come across a lot of people in this field, and especially coming from baseball as you and I did, it's a small fraternity of people. You, you kind of run into the same people and over and over, and that doesn't necessarily mean you keep communication with a lot of people. So when you find this common denominator in another individual that you kind of see in yourself of always trying to learn a little bit, trying to pick each other's brains, uh, you know, there's a mutual respect 
respect that we find with certain people. And that's what you and I certainly have found over the years is like, you know, we're both in the trenches fighting the same fights, regardless if you think your organization is different than mine, chances are we're fighting the same battles and we have the same struggles. So being able to communicate openly and talk and learn from each other is something that I highly respect out of a lot of people, but especially yourself. And you, and you know, you've been going around and talking about VBT, you know, you're talking at this conference about upper extremity training and, and particularly in baseball where that's kind of frowned upon right so you know um it's i love coming across people that are always digging deep to learn a little bit more and really being vulnerable enough to share that with others to actually get feedback and learn from them as well that's cool yeah uh so for our listeners you know i, I met brian back in 2012 2013 range he was the strength and conditioning coach for the Tulsa Drillers, the double-A team with the Rockies, and I was with the Frisco Rough Riders uh, with the Texas Rangers organization. And, uh, you know, in the minor leagues, dealing with that Texas heat, um, in, you obviously played professionally. Um, any fun baseball stories you'd want to share with our listeners? Oh, man. So we go back to, I think, when you used to meet up, you know, we'd come play the Rough Riders. It was the Rough Riders, right? Yeah. It was the Rough Riders. <laughs> Um, you know, we come out here to, to the Dallas area and I remember thinking there was no hotter place on earth than, you know, <laughs> than outside Dallas. I remember because just a few, you know, because our part of the league would only come down to the southern part of the league, you know, what, twice a year, mm -hmm. whatever it was. And every time we were there, I swear it was just ridiculously hot to where we just couldn't even do a pregame. But, you know, I look back at those days and the Texas League was some of my most fun experiences. I think that league in general, as far as the quality of baseball that's being played, the quality of the fan base at each place you go is, I don't know, it's the best that I was ever in in the minor leagues, I would say. So I For look sure. back at those and I cherish those days. And I remember, you know, those days at your park, you know, I remember one day it was so hot. I let the boys go hop in the lazy river that was in the outfield. I'm like, we're all going swimming. And this is even pregame because it was like we this is a mandatory cool down. Um, but, you know, outside of that baseball stories, you know, it can be such a grind day to day doing the same things I think it gets so monotonous that you really need you need whether it's a coach or an athlete you need that individual that's going to make things loose that's going to keep things loose and that has a good sense of humor because sometimes we're just too serious day to day and you can't grind the season like that as you know um, and so some funny stories I can think about on top of my head I remember to this day like one of my one of my favorite guys on the planet and especially that I've worked with in baseball, John Axford, um, you know, a big league pitcher when I was in uh, with the Rockies. I remember we were playing the Nationals in D.C. You know, it's hot. And we're all grinding. It's late summer and we get a late we get a late inning win, push back and we end up winning. And I run up to the uh, to the weight room to train afterwards and he's doing squats and a jock strap only. And he's just <laughs> blasting, you know rush or whatever it was at the time i remember just like you know what this is the stuff we need more of um you know we had another guy i you know i refer back to like tulsa time this guy named craig Sitton. you know a heck of a pitcher actually from uh, oregon state he uh i didn't have a 
uh, wardrobe rule in the weight room, and he really screwed me on that because I didn't have set rules. So he'd come in in some weird outfits from time to time and have me film him doing something that he could show. His, it was just, it's the little things like that. Like if you come in and perform, I don't care. But if you're gonna wear that, like everyone's gonna laugh. But just I just look back at those times and and really do miss the people that really kept things loose and kept it fun when we oftentimes kind of forget that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember having to police the wardrobe policy when we're going out to the public gyms, you know, yes, on the road yes, or yes. when, you know, the minor leagues has come a long way where now there's actually training facilities in a lot of the stadiums now. So it's a lot better than it used to be. It is better now. Yeah. Everything is getting a little bit better all around. So getting into kind of your philosophy on, on what makes a strength and conditioning coach successful, um, you know, what do you think that is? Well, it's, it's first off, it's, it's putting together, well, it starts with relationships. Hey, we can sit here and talk about our programs all day, you know, whether it's 82 or 83% on a front squat or it's dynamic effort or max effort. None of that really matters unless you have these relationships. So what makes a good strength coach, and people touch on it a lot, is being able to, you know, have conversations with these guys. Do they care that you care? Um, are you a good person, and why should they listen to you? So that's really where it starts. Um, you can get into the programming all day and we all like to go blue in the face, you know, talking programming and that's fun and that's what a lot of things we're obsessed with. But what makes a good coach is 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 having those relationships and then putting together a good program and then, hey, let's celebrate the small wins when we get them. You know, mm-hmm. when we're working on a specific quality, let's celebrate a little bit when we get there. Um, and I think athletes and individuals see that and they want to put in the effort they want to put in the work and that kind of just goes full circle over and over absolutely tons of non-weight room skills totally come into yeah this job yeah not it's not just a program that we write and we don't interact like hey and really what you learn too and i know that you know this you know especially working at the big league level you have to sell your program on a daily basis why should they do this do they understand the why behind it? Are they educated on why you're doing it? And do they like you or care about you enough to actually listen to you? Because at the end of the day, we're all people. If I don't like you, I don't really care. I don't want to do what you want me to do. So you got to understand that there's got to be an education piece. There's got to be a relationship piece. And at the end of the day, it's got to work. So it's it's a fun skill. It's a fun job. And uh, I've really enjoyed my time in it. That's awesome. So... So taking that, you know, what's what's the pathway to get there? You know, what's what advice do you have for young strength coaches getting into the field? Um, obviously, there's a lot of X's and O's to what we do, and you, you need to have the chops in the field to, to, to know the exercises and know the periodization. But you're talking a little bit deeper than that. You know, what's the pathway to get there for young coaches? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm really drawn from my own experience I, you know, you learn a lot in school. You can go through all the A and P and, and really learn through the textbooks. That's good to have that base understanding. I didn't really start learning until I was actually doing my internship and hands-on. Um, but really, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think where people really um, separate themselves from others is the resources they get their hands into, how much they're willing to read daily, because that's not easy for everyone. How interested are you in, in, you know, in research and books? And I think on top of that, the last piece that really sets people apart is your networking capability. And are you willing to go do a site visit? I think I look back 
and you know, I was a young kid out of college. I did site visits whenever I could. I remember even being in the Texas League. You know, I'd go to universities in the area, University of Tulsa, and some others, and just talk shop with people that I respected. You know, because of their position. So, I think young kids that are trying to get into it, that want to have success, um, education is 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 priority. But then also, you know, going and learning on site and be willing to do things for you know nothing or next to nothing to get that experience. Yeah, for sure. Getting getting in the door, getting your eyes, you know, meeting meeting coaches, yeah. getting that feedback. Yeah, know, that, that's so important in our field. And ask questions. There's not a stupid question. I know people say that, and we always none of us want to raise our hands, or none of us want to sound stupid, but just ask questions. I think any coach, you know, including yourself or anyone, when someone asks a question, you really want to give them an answer, the real answer. There's no, there is no stupid question. So just be willing to kind of look stupid in the moment. Um, but I think it's going to benefit you long term. Yeah. Um, so you talk about reading, what books, resources have helped you over the years? Um, oh, um, gosh. Um, you know, I think I started with Boyle back in the day. I think I started um, with, you know, the legend Mike Boyle, um, really learning. And, and one thing I remember about his book that really set it off, and this was, uh, I can't remember which Functional one. Functional training for yeah. sport. Yeah. It had case, or it had like case studies in there. And it would be like, this person has this going on. Here's what we would think, or here's how our thought process would work. And then here's what we end up finding. And I remember some things like that, and there really got my my mind turning. And like, ah, that makes sense, or that makes sense. But Boyle was really where I started. I'd say then I really got into um, you know looking at a lot of the West Side stuff. Um, how do guys get brutally strong? And kind of learning some of those principles, science and practice, strength training was one that I remember really stuck out as far as learning, you know, the programming piece and understanding a lot of the science. Obviously, super training um, is a, I can't say that's a read, that's a reference. Um, I think it's good to have some things highlighted in there. So those were definitely some resources. I became slightly obsessed with just reading and reading and reading and kind of putting my notes together. Um, but there's some good blogs out there too. And, and now more so than ever, there's podcasts that you can really listen or search coaches that you're really into or, or dig their philosophy and really hear them talk about training. So there's, we're at no limitation on resources <laughs> to look into. I think it's really just finding what we really feel we need to improve on and kind of searching that out. Absolutely. And, and so we're sitting here in the exhibit hall at the 2020 NSEA coaches conference and, I think you say there's no limitation on resources. There's such a huge technology push now, and you see it when you walk around the exhibit hall. Mm -hmm. um, and I know being with Sparta, that's you know you you guys are right uh, in line with that. So, a question I have for you is how is technology changing the weight room? You know, I I think we we're coming from a very analog weight room world, and it's going a lot more digital. And it's to me, it's changing the coaching process. Mm -hmm. And it's changing what the coach is becoming and what the coach needs to uh, needs to do on yeah. a on a on a daily basis or yep. or just to implement the program. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's good. I think if it's not you know if it's not overly too much you know data pieces, I think it's good. You know, having said that, technology in the weight room is huge. You know, it can be great biofeedback. You know, you've spoken on VBT. A lot of it's like, hey, when do we need to shut down a session or when are we actually still getting something out of this, you know, by looking at, you know, bar speed and other things. I think 
It's also, what is our program designed to do? Are we trying to improve strength, speed, power, whatever it may be? You're getting feedback on that almost immediately and in real time a lot of times by using technology. So the value of tech is getting feedback quicker than having to wait and look at these other lagging indicators. So really being to uh, be able to not only monitor you know, workloads you know, in real time, but also look at our program week to week um, electronically a lot of times as where are these improvements coming and where are they not coming and where do I need to tweak things. So technology, as long as it's not overwhelming and changing too much, we can really use it to evaluate our program on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing with tech is the implementation aspect is an interesting conversation because when you implement a new piece of technology to a program, it 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 changes the every aspect of your weight room session from how the players show up or the, mm-hmm. how the athletes show up for the session, how they uh, record, document their information, how they're communicating with their coach, how the coach is communicating with them. Um, that implementation process, when when you guys are doing that with the Sparta technology, how do you, how do you approach that with a new organization that's um, that's just getting on board and can't just go all in right away? Well, first off, I think the the, the kind of the cardinal rule of technology is like if it doesn't make your life easier, what are you doing? You're wrong, <laughs> right mm-hmm. away. You know, if it's if it if you're spending more time looking at numbers or behind the computer, you're doing it wrong. Um, so it's got to be practical. It's got to be easy to apply. It's got to be seamless. Um, having said that, you kind of talk about how it's changing and it's all tech now. I think we I can go back to my experience with the Rockies. You know, we went from the training card to having your workout or template on your phone. And you know how a lot of people, even today, will still have a no phones in the in the weight room rule. We actually had rules where we're like, if the athlete showed up to the weight room without their phone, I said, go <laughs> get your phone. Because we kind of, I think, again, what do people always have today? What are we all obsessed with and on all the time? And if I can have your information on there, you're always able to access it. And really, I should, you know, it's not a, it's not a crazy thing to think of now of bringing your phone with you because that's where your vitals are. That's where your workout is, whatnot. So tech has definitely changed the view, you know, for better or worse, um, you know, dep- depending on what camp you're in, you know, more old school or more, you know, progressive with it. It's, it's changed how we operate. But really, at the end of the day, if it's not making things quicker or easier, you're, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the fears is that, you know, this new technology essentially replace, replaces or does the job of, of the coach. And I think there's a little bit of fear in the professional ranks that that by by adding the tech that, um, you know, what am I going to what am I going to do? You know, what, what am I going to be doing as a strength coach if if I'm just running the program off the app or the website? Yeah. Um, but what you're saying, you know, it's it's more the interaction the interaction of the tech with the athlete with the coach that's that's really where what's important no totally and it's not there shouldn't be a fear you'll never be replaced your expertise is not going to be replaced it should be your interest in validating your program i think i want to validate what i'm doing and what i'm spending time on because a lot of times it's a thankless gig we do what we do we might know we're doing well but how can we validate it and, and improve our process? And, and shoot, at the end of the day, we want to validate to our superiors that we're doing the job we said we were going to do. And I think use tech to do that 
um, to elevate ourselves, not a fear of what can replace us. Really, I think people should own it and use it to their advantage more often. Do you see a limit to how much tech we can employ in the weight room? Yeah, I think obviously there's there's a limit. Again, if it, if it's speeding up the process and things are quick, there's no limit. I mean, if you if you want to do things, you know, intra training and test, you know, certain biofeedback intra training, that's fine. Um, but if it slows things down or or puts us to a halt in any sense, then you may, maybe should take a step back and say, let's do a little less. Let's do a little bit less, but let's do it a lot better. Or mm-hmm. let's do a little bit less, but let's collect it a lot more frequently. So I think, and we've talked about this before at Sparta, is we want to collect, we really want to collect depth on a few things. We want to collect them a lot to understand them well, as opposed to collecting width of everything under the sun, but not doing it as much. Because then we can just be paralyzed by all this information. I don't know what means what, but if I collect a few things and collect them a lot, I got a pretty good idea of how my programming is influencing those variables. Nice. So um, just catching everybody up, we have Brian Buck from Sparta Science on the air here at the NSCA 2020 Coaches Conference, talking about the role of technology uh, in the coaching process. Um, the For you, what does the future of strength and conditioning look like? The next five, ten years, you know, if you were to, if the way you see this profession going, um, with the amount of growth that we've had recently, I feel like on the tech side and the sports science integration that we that, that's going on, um, where do you see it going? I mean, it's going to keep trending in a, in a positive light. I mean, you look, we're, you know, on ESPN now, they're doing specials, kind of, you know, the Boyd Epley, the history of strength and conditioning, how it all started, how, you know, everything that happened at Nebraska, if I'm, if I'm correct there. And you look at, now we're starting to talk salaries. Now salaries are getting brought up in the news, like, hey, strength coaches is making, you know, three-quarter mil almost now and, and whatnot. And it's like, we're, us in the industry are kind of going, well, yeah. We should be. I mean, we feel this is deserved, but it's now, you know, it's not just, you know, the financial piece of it, but we're starting to get that recognition that we really feel that we deserve. And with the amount we're alongside the athlete, the the amount of care that we put into them, um, all those things are important. And now you're starting to see these head football coaches and these other head coaches they're going out and specifically handpicking that individual to deal with their athletes. That's how important they feel it is. And that's not going to go anywhere. I think it's only going to continue to become more and more important. And then, again, with the value of technology, we're going to begin to validate our job more and more and really going to see who's doing a really good job with what they have and the resources that they have. And, again, not everyone is going to just be overwhelmed by technology because we don't all have the resources. We might just have a jump mat. We might just have a vertex. We might have nothing, right? And so not everyone has access that professional athletes have. Um, but in my opinion, it's only tre- trending in a positive light, and it's going to continue to get better, and there's going to be more recognition, and there's going to continue to grow as, a, as an industry. Nice. The, so you're talking about the, the career development side of strength and conditioning, and that's something we don't always talk about. I think, you know, we – I know on the front end, we, we think about, oh, I want to work with athletes. I want to get guys strong. I want to, I want to make people better, uh, better at their sport. And, and that ten, tends to be what we focus on. And we, we, we get the book smarts and we learn what's in the essentials text. And we take it further. But from a, from a life standpoint, like you recently married. Uh, you transitioned from athlete to coach. Um, now to the private sector. You know, talk about the NS, uh, the 
strength and conditioning career path, so to speak, and just what you, what you all, what's been your approach to navigating this profession? You know, it goes a lot of ways. And the thing that's unfortunate, you know, and again, I work in the private industry, so I'm not in it like everyone else is. Um, but the one thing I see is just a, a ton of turnover, you know, at the college level and at the pro level a lot too. And I feel like that's a huge fear is, is that that's going to continue to happen. And I hope that, um, you know, it doesn't continue to trend like it is. I think it's tough. I think if you're a if you're a young person and you're in the industry and you're trying to have, you know, a professional life outside of training and conditioning, there's a good opportunity or a good chance that you might have to move in the next couple of years. So how rooted can we get in our community? How rooted can we get in building these young men and women that we want to be good people with the fear of, well, I might have to go somewhere else soon. Then um, again, I'm, I'm not someone that's had to face that, so I can't speak on that behalf of, you know, I've been the person that's been fired multiple times, but I, I, we see it happen all the time. There's a lot of turnover, um, but it's, it's I, I really value these organizations and these universities that preach building good people over just good athletes. Yeah, that we're here to do that because that's our expertise and that's what we love to do. But at the end of the day, you're building a young man or a young woman. You're, in, you know, instilling some good characteristics, some quality um, things that, that they're they're around you more than their parents what what can we leave them with and what can we teach them and 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 all that stuff it's more important as i get older i look at that more and more but i really value coaches that really talk about that and that's a big part of the recruiting process at a lot of places now too is like you're going to leave an adult you're going to leave a professional adult not just an athlete so you know that's that's a cool piece of what we do that's awesome so for you what's been the biggest challenge you've faced in this field the challenge um, is not making it the best where you're at. You know, the challenge is like always thinking you need to be somewhere else or you want that gig or you feel that you should be above this person. Don't get lost in those wars. Those are wars you'll never win and you'll drive yourself crazy thinking about why you're not in specific places. You know, and we've heard it said before, be the best where you are, but that is really the truth spot on. Wherever your situation is, make it the best, learn from it, create the best where you are, and, and really those other opportunities are going to pop up, and you're not going to wear yourself out thinking about them. That's great advice. Um, yeah, I heard someone say big, you know, big times where you're at. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, use that, you know, make that, make what you're doing where you're at the most important thing and that I think that is uh that was really powerful for me when I heard it um but yeah I really like talking about the career aspects of strength and conditioning I think you know I know for me personally it was I was I was a little bit fearful of this profession you know on the front end of okay I know what my college football coaches went through um on a daily basis um and a lot of them were young uh, GAs, but I knew that, man, like, how would this, how would this be a sustainable profession with a family, uh, and just looking at life goals. And it's really, it, it's kind of a leap of faith almost. It's like we put our trust in, um, the NSCA, we put our trust in the CSCS and in that it's going to be the vehicle that, that helps you in your career to develop as a professional. And, kind of take you on this journey through your life. And I think, you know, one area 
uh, I'm passionate about, and I know you are too, just from our conversations, is 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 just improving the the career path and improving the 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 life skills portion of this job. The and 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 I really liked what you said there. You know about you know it really does mean a lot to me, and I know we talk about it a lot. Yeah, and I think. Uh how can you improve quality of life? And that's the little things. I mean, we grind and, you know, we've all, we've done spring training. We've been in the weight room from five to five. You know, we've done that. That's not a, that's not a brag or anything like that. We all do that in this field. But I think when you can start to look at, I'm not trying to be this hero or brag about how many hours I put in. When you start to step back and as a leader in the organization that you're in, start to talk about quality of life and maybe you're pushing guys out a few hours early each day and you're going to handle that load um, and give guys more of that personal time away, more family time, little things. Those little things go so far, you know, whether you're in, you know, collegiate strength conditioning or pro strength conditioning, I think it's important to take a step back and say, what what's outside of this bubble that we're constantly obsessed with of training in this process? What about our families? What about people we care about? What about small vacations? Those things are important. And a lot of times in this field, we kind of just grind, 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 because mm-hmm. that's what we know. Shoot, spring training, as you know, what is it like? You have X amount of days where you don't have a day off, and you just go, and you just go, go, go. And, and, you know, college training conditioning is tough, too. Like, those are long hours. Those are long days, and sometimes we kind of wear it as a badge of honor of, like, well, I put this many hours in. But the one person that steps in and say, I know this is the norm, but actually you're going you're gonna to have today off or you're going to have a, leave a couple hours early, those little things make a huge difference in the lives of strength coaches and, and people that you may oversee or someone that oversees you. And I remember like having that brought upon me. I remember thinking, man, this, this is huge. I can actually have a life outside of all this. Yeah. And, and so it's important. Those little things I think are good to talk about because they're not often talked about. I kind of think it's looked at as weakness at times mm-hmm. to do less, but really it's like a more fulfilling lifestyle and now we can do it for a lot longer. Well, and it gives you perspective and context for what we do in the profession. I think it makes you a lot more well-rounded when you, when you're a complete person, you know, when you, when you have, <laughs> when you have more to offer than, than just sets and reps, you know, and, and it goes back to what you're saying about you know you know relationships and and getting to know people but it's like where's your context for that come from well like if if, what's the difference between brian buck with four hours of sleep and brian buck with eight hours of sleep Uh, you you don't want to talk the guy with only four hours is not a good person and that reflects (laughs) that reflects not only to your athletes but your at-home life what are you going to be like when you get home to the wife you know, how are you going to be around your kids or your, you know, relatives? It, it, it's all, it's all connected. So I think the more we can understand our health and wellness ourselves, um, the better people we can be, the better coaches we can be, and the better we can make this industry as a whole. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, where do, uh, where can people connect with you? I know you do the Sparta Science blog. Is that, uh, is that something you, um, spend a lot of time on yeah um so we've you know i've I've written the blog you know a handful of bit you know bryce patterson has you know phil wagner has obviously our ceo um and we kind of share responsibilities on that i think it's a i think it's a great blog i i you know um not not any of mine that i wrote but most of the other ones that have been written are pretty good <laughs> um but they're short 
um, short little, you know, one pagers that you can actually take something with. Um, but as far as connecting, uh, you know, I try and stay, I try and stay somewhat active on Twitter. I'm probably way more of like a reader and like looking at other people's content than I actually am putting out my own stuff. And actually that's like a goal I have for myself this year is to actually put out more content or, nice. or, or deliver more of my thoughts. I don't, not for anyone else, but really to kind of put them out there and again, kind of have some vulnerability and, and, and learn from others and share my experiences and whatnot. So yeah, Brian buck six, um, on Twitter is a place that you can reach me. Um, and then just Brian at Sparta Science is, you know, I'm always open to, um, you know, chatting with coaches and emailing back and forth, talking, talking shop, talking life. I think that's one big piece that I do um, really kind of miss, you know, from being in the trenches and coaching on a daily basis is the interaction of, you know, this training program or this program or this quality or this sets and reps, um, you know, so being on a different side of it now, I definitely miss more of those intimate conversations. So I'm always one that enjoys the, you know, when you call me or when others call me to catch up and talk shop. Um, so I'm definitely um, easy to get a hold of. That's awesome. So that is Brian Buck from Sparta Science. Thanks for being on the podcast. Man, thanks for having me. This has been a good time. It's, like I said, man, this is official. Your face is up on the wall here. <laughs> yeah, it's, we, it looks we really realistic. Posted a, my my <laughs> face over over Scott Caulfield's face on the backdrop here <laughs> at the conference just to uh, m make sure we send that out to him on social media here. Yeah, but I, again, Eric, I appreciate you having me. And, you know, we've known each other for a while, and it's fun to watch each other's paths, you know, develop over the years. So I appreciate you having me on here. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, big thanks to our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate all their support in making this podcast possible. Do you know of an outstanding strength and conditioning coach who deserves recognition for their hard work? Nominations are now open for the NSCA Professional College and Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year Awards. To nominate a colleague or mentor, go to nsca.com slash membership slash awards. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.